0: All right, if you want to grab your seats and turn in your Bibles to John chapter 14. If you're making notes, which I always encourage you to if you can, I've called this message No Longer Orphans. And we're going to be looking in part within the confines of John chapter 14 from verses 15 through 27. We're going to be looking... The doctrine of adoption, which for me I think is just one of the most sweetest themes in scripture that you're going to find. So let's read together from verse 15 through 27. Brendan read it to us last week and drew out appropriately the promised Holy Spirit. That was an excellent sermon on the Holy Spirit. But there's one more thing in here that I want you to see, and it's adoption. Verse 15. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. So let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Let's pray. Father, I have prayed to you in private. And now I pray to you in public. Lord, would you minister to every soul in this room during this preach word. Lord, you're so amazing and you are the father of lights. So Lord, I pray for all those that don't know you. Would you open their eyes to behold the wonders of the gospel and the wonders of adoption. And Lord, for every believer in the room, people that you have called people that you have come after, Lord, would they know before they leave the room today the realities of your personal, passionate, and particular love for them. Lord, would you do these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Russ Moore is the dean of the School of Theology and Senior Vice President of the Southern Baptist Theological Ceremony in Louisville. And once upon a time, he adopted two boys from Russia. It's a story that I've quoted to you before. But given the nature of this topic, I want you to hear it freshly because it so motivates and so affects in the context of what Jesus is talking about here to his disciples. The story of Mr. Moore Receiving these two Russian boys from the orphanage is as follows when Maria and I first walked into the orphanage where we were led to the boys the Russian courts had picked out for us to adopt we almost vomited we almost vomited in reaction to the stench and squalor of the place the boys were in cribs in the dark lying in their own waste leaving them at the end of the day was painful But leaving them the final day before going home and waiting for the paperwork to go through was the hardest thing we've ever had to do. Walking out of the room to prepare for the plane ride home, Maria and I could hear Maxim calling out for us and falling down in his crib in tears. Maria shook with tears too, and so I turned around to walk back into their room just for a minute. I placed my hand on both their heads and said, knowing that they couldn't understand a word of English. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. I don't think I consciously intended to cite Jesus' words to his disciples in John 14 verse 18, but it just seemed like the only thing worth saying at the time. When Maria and I had at long last received the call to say that the legal process was over and we returned to Russia to pick up our new sons... We found that the transition from orphanage to family was more difficult than we had supposed. We dressed the boys in outfits our parents had bought for them. My mother in law gathered some wildflowers growing between cracks in the pavement outside the orphanage. And we nodded our thanks to the orphanage personnel and walked into the sunlight. All to the terror of the two boys. They had never seen the sun, they had never felt the wind. They'd never heard the sound of a car door slamming or had the sensation of being carried along at hundred miles an hour down a Russian road. I noticed that they were shaking and reaching back for the orphanage in the distance. And so I whispered to Sergei, now Timothy, Sergei, that place is a pit. If only you knew what is waiting for you, a home with a mummy and a daddy that love you. Grandparents and great grandparents and cousins and playmates and McDonald's Happy Meals. Man after my own heart. But all they knew was the orphanage. It was squalid, but they had no other reference point, and to them it was home. We knew the boys had acclimated to our home and that they trusted us when they stopped when they stopped hiding food in their high chairs. They knew there would be another meal coming and they wouldn't have to fight for the scraps anymore. This was the new normal. They are now thoroughly Americanized, perhaps too much so, able to recognize the sound of a microwave ding from 40 yards away. But I still remember those little hands reaching for the orphanage. And so often I see myself there all over again. You know, in the last 13 years that I have had the privilege and joy of serving as a pastor, first of all at Christ Church Wales and now here in Sovereign Grace Church Sydney, my mind is filled with numerous moments of joy, numerous evidences of grace and numerous moments where I have experienced profound joy in serving people. Moments when people get saved. Moments when the gospel starts to transform lives. Moments when you see churches planted out from among you. Moments when you rejoice in the big things and also just the small things that take place in people's lives. And yet I have to say for me, few moments have provided me with more joy than when an adoption has taken place in our church. And when for the first time you get to meet that child who has been adopted by my opinion a great mum and dad each and every time that has occurred and that introduction has occurred I have felt and sensed God's pleasure each time that moment has occurred I have admired the parents admired their selflessness admired their compassion admired their want and love to rearrange their lives around to adopt and give this child a home. And each time I've been reminded of what God has done for sinners like me and you. Each and every time I've been reminded of God's incredible love for me and for you. And so I wasn't surprised when I was informed that in chapter 19 of Dr. Packer's classic work, Knowing God, he, he writes as follows. The title is, What is a Christian? And this is how he responds. The question, he writes, can be answered in many ways. But the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one that has God as Father. For our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. The truth of our adoption, listen, gives us the deepest insights that the New Testament affords into the greatness of God's love. My friends, I believe he's right. The best way to discern and describe a Christian in so many ways is one who has God as Father. And when we understand the process of adoption, how that came about, it is the finest moment for us that the New Testament affords into the greatness, the magnificence of God's personal and passionate and particular love. And really then that informs my hopes for this message. It is my hope. That if you are a Christian here today, if you love the Lord Jesus Christ, that you would not leave this room without knowing of his personal and passionate and particular love for you. Insert your name instead of you. That's what I want you to know. And the truth is, having been a pastor now many years, there are all too many Christians that I encounter that do not realize that they're almost unaware of how God feels about them. In fact, actually, the more you press them on this issue, actually, they're quite suspicious of God. And the more you press them further, actually, they can sense that the Lord loves everybody else, but for them, sometimes with tears coming down their face, they will help you see that really they just feel that God is tolerating them. They're in, but how does God feel about them? well, I think I'll just keep out of the way. So it is my hope that maybe with some of you here, that you would be deeply impacted by adopting grace today, as we look at it in John chapter 14. As we spend time gathering in this word, it Is my hope that you would be freshly inflamed in how the Lord feels about you. And if you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, It is my hope that you'd be so captivated by his love for you, seen first and foremost in the substitution of Jesus Christ in your place, through whom adoption to God the Father is possible. That even while I preach, you would flee to the cross. You would run from your sin and run instead to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That is my hope. And that is the power, I believe, of God's word. And so to that end then, we are going to give ourselves to John chapter 14, particularly verses 16 through 20. And so let me set the scene for you before we crack on with this. We've now walked with Jesus for some time, for all of those that have been with us through the gospel of John. For three years, Jesus has been performing some incredible miracles, been working through some incredible prophetic ministry, been working through some incredible healings, his character, His speeches, his talk, everything pointing to the fact which he exclaims time and time again that I am God. For any individual in the room that believes Jesus isn't God, you are deceived. Read John, you'll find it time and time and time again. Very clear exclamations that he is. And he proves it time and time again through what he says and what he does. Well, just four days then prior to John chapter 14, Jesus, at the beginning of the culmination of his ministry... Has come into Jerusalem for the final time. And everybody in town is hailing him as the king and the Messiah. They're so excited that he's finally arrived. They are convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. But they think within that that he is going to take a throne somewhere in Jerusalem and overthrow the Romans, kick them out, and eventually now the Jews will rule. They are so right yet so wrong. He is the king, he is the Messiah. But he hasn't come to take his throne today. He's come to die. Because he's building another kingdom. Well, the Jews respond in disgust. They leave Jesus. They finally reject him. And So now we fast forward four days later to the upper room, which begins in John chapter 13. It's the night before Jesus dies. He sits his disciples down. He wants to communicate some very important discourse to them, and he wants to share with them a meal, the Lord's Supper, which he would institute for all of us as Christians to then manifest and enjoy for centuries and centuries to come until he returns. This is an epic moment. And as we know, the disciples greet this moment with what they do best. Arguments. They start to argue with the saviour in terms of Jesus. This is really cool. We're really liking the bread and wine. Thanks very much for that. But here's the thing. When you get into your kingdom, who is the greatest? Because I'm pretty sure it's me. And so they start arguing with him. So he puts a towel around his waist and gets down in his hands and knees and starts to wash their feet to show them that the greatest of all is a servant. That's what it's about. It's not about position. It's about serving. That's what true greatness is. But he does also tell them in John 13 some, some things that cause them trouble. He explains to them that one of them is going to betray him. And as he says these things and he dips the bread, Judas goes bolting out of the room. Well, that would be quite disturbing if you just spent three years together as a 12. And all of a sudden one dude has now gone running out of the room. He's also just told Peter that, you know what? Before the cock crows three times, you you will betray me. You will just deny me time and time again before the cock crows. And the disciples can't believe it, Peter. He's a rock, he's the strong one. He won't do that. And Jesus goes on to explain to them, and to be honest, tomorrow I'm going. They are in disarray, they are in fear, they are in turmoil. And so Jesus, at the start of John 14, gives them clear reasons, four clear reasons, as to why their hearts need not be troubled. He's trying to care for them as he gathers in around them and begins to communicate to them. He explains right off the bat in verses 2 to 3, that you do not leave your hearts to be troubled because you're not home yet, because heaven will be your home. And so all of this is just Temporary. Because where I am going, although you cannot come today, one day you will come. And in my father's house there are many rooms and I am going to prepare a place for you. He explains to them likewise that you do not lead your hearts to be troubled because your root home is me. It's not about your works. It's about my works. I am the guarantee of your inheritance. I am the guarantee of that heaven will truly be your home. He explains to them then in verses 7 to 11 that you can trust me because I am God. Six times he communicates that he and the Father are one. Exclaiming that you you can trust me. I'm not just a guy. I am God. And so when I communicate with you, God is communicating with you. And then in verses 16 to 18 he explains that you need to like, let your hearts be troubled because although I'm going, I'm not really going at all. I'm going to send one just like me, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, who will not only be with you, He will be in you. And He will never leave you. And so don't let your hearts be troubled. And if the story ended there, well, I think that's a great story. And there would be more than enough reasons in the context there why our hearts shouldn't be troubled. There would be more enough to fuel there to ensure that we never be troubled again. We certainly know where to run when we are troubled. And yet, there is a fifth reason. There's another one. There's something else that Jesus, I think, wants us to see. There is one more reason why our hearts need not be troubled, and it's this let not your hearts be troubled, because through me, you're going to be adopted. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because my father is going to become your father. God, in his grace, is going to adopt you. And it is this fifth reason then that I think we get to see what Dr. Papka is talking about. That yes, indeed, the truth of our adoption gives us the deepest insights that the New Testament affords into the greatness of God's love. So two points this morning, two things that I want you to see and examine in this scripture. They're not complicated, but I need you to bear with me. And I want you to think about them. Engage your minds and your souls as we engage with these truths. Number one, we can see God's love and care for us in the means of our adoption. We can see it, his love and care in the means of our adoption. Look again at Verse 18. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. My friends, you need to understand the seriousness and the gravity of the matter. The seriousness and the gravity of the matter is that outside of God's saving initiative, every individual in this room are orphans. Outside of God's incredible grace and His pursuing grace, We are orphans. And the Bible makes that clear all the way through. Maxim and Surige were lying in their cribs, in the dark, in their own waste. That is so grieving. And yet, if we could examine, biblically, your situation prior to adoption, Your situation would make Maxim and Sergei's situation look like a holiday, because your situation, outside of saving grace, was far worse. The Bible makes it clear that we were dead in our transgressions and sins; that you were slaves to sin, completely unable to free yourself. You were, in effect, in the crib, in the stench of your own sin, in the bondage of that. Completely unable to get out of it. Tied in. In bondage to your sin. We freely in that situation followed the course of this world and the prince of the power of air. In Ephesians 2, Paul tells us, by nature then, we were what? Children of wrath. Do you see that? That was your story. You were by nature children of God's wrath. Wrath. You were orphans. I was an orphan. We were orphans together. And that's our situation outside of saving grace, outside of the pursuing initiative of the Lord. We were all orphans. And by nature, then, children of wrath. We were by nature on a collision course. With the righteous anger of God, we were on a collision course, not only being cut off from God in this life, but we were on a collision course to one day standing before Him, and as a child of wrath, being removed from Him for all eternity. That was you. You were in the orphanage. And yet, in the beginning, was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 Paul says for when the fullness of time had come listen God sent forth his son do you behold his love in that You were in the orphanage. You were dead in your transgressions and sins. You were by nature a child of God's wrath. And yet when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. He sent Him forth. He was with God. He was God. He put on flesh on the greatest rescue mission that you have ever heard of in all of eternity because God the Father sent His Son for you. My friends, behold his love for you. Behold his love for you, revealed through his initiative in sending forth his son to you. For those who were orphans, cut off from him. We were orphans, we were slaves to sin, enslaved to a position that is humanly impossible to free ourselves from. Notice what God did for you. God sent forth his son. From heaven to earth, from Galilee to Jerusalem, from the manger to the cross, God sent forth His Son. Why? Because He loves you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. He gave Him because He loves you. See, I think as a church and as Christians, I think I think we can become very aware of the love that the Saviour has for us. And I think we can see that and perceive that. We imagine the Saviour hanging on the cross. Having been whipped. Having been scourged. Having been beaten. now, Now hanging on the cross and crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knows the answer. But it's a cry of anguish. This is so overwhelming for him. and So it's not hard for us to read into that and, and see God's love. See the Savior's love for us. And yet I think sometimes we, we fail to perceive in that what that moment must have been for the Father. What that moment must have been like from a father's love, who dearly loves his only begotten son, what would that have been like for him? For this is his son in whom he's well pleased. This is his son in whom all his delight resides. This is his son that he's been with through all eternity. He dearly loves his son. But now, as his son becomes sin for us on the cross, the father. For the first time, pours out his righteous anger on his son, and in doing so turns his face away. Can you perceive that? Can you see that? Because if you can't, adoption will never overwhelm you. See, I have a son, as you know, I have one son. And two beautiful daughters, and my son's name, for those that are visiting, is Joshua. And Joshua is a fine young man who brings his dad great joy. But when Josh was young, he had to have a series of operations. When he was born, he was born with a cleft palate. And so he had to have two operations on the inside of his mouth, where they would cut from just behind the tooth and cut to the back of his throat. And take the muscles that were running this way and, and move them and, and make them go the other way. He was three years old when ran his first operation for that. He then had to have another one to do the same thing where they'd move the throat forward in far, at five years. And then just before we moved to Australia, um, he had to have a heart operation because he also had two holes in his heart. And I'll never forget for me the, the first operation because he was my only son. And I didn't know what to expect. He didn't know what to expect. He couldn't speak at that time in his life. So he communicated by sign language and through occasional noises that sounds like squeals that after a while you get used to when you figure what they are. But he would, on the whole, sign language to me. And I'll never forget the very first operation. We went to Swansea University Hospital. And when we went in, um, he had to have a pre-med, which meant they obviously had to inject him to get blood out of his arm and... So he did that, and that was, that was traumatic enough for a three-year-old trying to hold him down while they're trying to get blood out of him. But, but he did that, and, and I was there with the fella, and I remember we had these glow sticks to try to distract him. But, you know, it wouldn't distract me, so it didn't distract him either. So they got the blood out. And, but the challenge was, after that, he realized doctors are bad people because they want to stick things in you. And, and so he, he comes out of the pre-op thinking, we're done. So he's running to the door, and you're like, we're not done yet you could have an operation. So we settled in for the day and the first day was okay. The doctors keep coming back though to check his temperature, to check on different things and whenever they would turn up, our Josh would just look at us with fear in his eyes and he, and he would just, just do this. Which just meant they're just talking, right? And you'd say, yeah, they're just talking. I want to check your temperature and stuff like that. You'll be all right. So they would do that. That happened about three times that day. The next morning we got up, the doctors came around again, check his temperature. they were just talking, Dad. Yeah, just talking, son. They did that. And then about midday, about two o'clock, they came in again. And so he looked at me and talking. And I said, son, no, they're not talking this time. mate. It's, it's time for your operation. And he looked at me and I looked at him and he started crying. I tried to pretend I wasn't. And I held him, and we both got in the seat together, and they pulled us along, and he's distressed, he's holding on to me. And then we got to the operation theater, and he didn't want to lie down. Don't blame him. So they asked me if I would help to hold him down. He's three. I love him. If I could have swapped places with him in that moment. would have done in a flash but I held him down so they put the mask on his face then he went to sleep and they said do you want to give him a kiss which was a big error I said yes which was a big error and I I kissed him and then began to walk out and Emma was waiting in the coffee bar and so I walked out and on the, the, the corridor trip to go meet with Emma I just remember being overwhelmed by two things. Firstly, I was was overwhelmed of how much I love my son and how dear he is to me. Secondarily, I, I was overwhelmed with the gospel because all I had done was hold my son down so he could have an operation. And yet the father father of all who loves his son more than I ever will had sent forth his son and then as his son is hanging on a cross do you not think the father would want to get him down I do but he doesn't and the son cries out Lord, in the Garden of Gethsemane, is there any other way? Do you you not think the Father would have wanted to respond in that moment? With a yes. And as he cries out on a cross, my God, Father, why have you forsaken me? Do you not think the Father would want to come in that moment and take him down and take him home? I do. And yet he doesn't. And he doesn't because he loves you. And he loves me. His son was left hanging on a cross. And the father turned his face away because he loves you. My friends, behold the love of God. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? If the story of our salvation ended there, I think we would have enough to rejoice over for the rest of our days and beyond. As we consider the love of God displayed for us at Calvary, we could just pause and I think worship for hours. But the story of our redemption doesn't end there. It's incredible, but it doesn't finish there. Galatians 4 verse 4 says... But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that, there's that, a so that. He didn't just send Him to redeem those under the law, there is a so that, so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's incredible. God sent forth His Son not only with an atoning purpose, God sent forth His Son with an adopting purpose. Not only an atoning one, but an adopting one as well. And if you look in John chapter 14 verses 18 through 20, this is the way Jesus says it. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me Because I live, you also will live. For in that day, listen, in that day, the day when the Holy Spirit comes, you will know. What will we know? That I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. For in that day, you will know that you are in me, united with me as a son, so that as I stand before my Father, you are in me, which means you are a son as well. You've also been adopted. You also have a father. And he's the same father that I have too. God sent forth his Son, not only with an atoning purpose, but an adopting purpose. God's purpose in salvation and at Calvary... Does not conclude with redemption, it culminates in adoption. In love, in grace, he not, only, he not only sets orphans free. That would be incredible even if that was where the story ended. But it does not. He not only sets orphans free, he makes orphans into sons. Through the death of his son. See, the doctrine of justification should amaze us. It should truly amaze us when we realize what God has done in seeking to justify us, to bring us out of the adoption theater. But the doctrine of adoption should overwhelm us. As you realize, in grace, He he not only brought me from my crib and the stench of my sin and took me outside and then said, Run free! He gets me in His car. And he's taken me home. Because he's not only set me free. He's adopted me. He's become my father. This is the way Jaya Packer says it. Just wonderfully. He says, justification by which we we mean God's forgiveness of the past, together with his acceptance of us in the future, is the primary and fundamental blessing of the gospel. And that is not in question. Justification is the primary blessing because it meets our primary spiritual need. We all stand, by nature, under God's judgment. His law condemns us. Guilt gnaws at us, making us restless and miserable, and in our lucid moments, afraid. We have no peace in ourselves because we have no peace with our maker. So we need the forgiveness of our sins and assurance of a restored relationship with God More than we need anything else in the world. This is what the gospel offers us before it offers us anything else. But contrast this now with adoption. Adoption is a family idea conceived in terms of love and viewing God as father. In adoption, God takes us into his family and fellowship. He establishes us as his children and heirs. Closeness affection and generosity are at the heart of this relationship. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. But to be loved and cared for by God the Father is greater still. To be right with God the judge is a great thing. It is to know that you stand before God the judge forgiven of your sin Redeemed by his incredible grace, justified by the judge's gavel that has come down on your life, declaring you not guilty. That is scandalous grace, and that is truly great, but to be loved and cared for by the Father. Oh, that's greater still. He's not only brought us out of the orphanages, he's then adopted us. I so there's a great and a greater, a great and a greater still. Yes. Yeah, there is. And the greatest still is adoption. Listen, by way of application, let me ask you this. How do you think God feels about you? When you're lying on your pillow at night and you're honest with yourself, how do you think He feels about you? Not, how do you feel about Him? Not, What do you think about him? But how do you think he feels about you? Do you perceive God as full of affection for you? Do you perceive him as desirous to be close to you? Do you perceive God as full of generosity towards you? Do you? See, if the words affection and closeness and generosity do not describe your perception of God and your experience of God and your present understanding of how God feels about you, I submit to you, your understanding of God is not enough because you're missing something incredible. Because when you understand adoption, you realize that is that's all about a fatherly care, which of course then placates as generous, close, exuding in love, a personal and passionate and particular love for you. Folks, if, if those three things don't, don't ring with you, they would not be how you would naturally describe how God feels about you. Then I want to encourage you to mainline for a while in adopting grace. I want you to plug in to adopting grace for a season. See, perhaps you've become more aware of your sin than adopting grace. And so you base your view of how God feels about you based on how you would feel about yourself if that was to occur. But your, your view is faulty. We've got to look at God's view. Perhaps you become more aware of justifying grace than adopting grace. So you're right, you're aware that you're free from the orphanage, but you're just cracking on and living your life. But you've never understood that God has put you in the car with Him and is now watching over you as a father who He's intimate with and bothered with. Folks, if you want to study then adopting grace more, which I would suggest you do, if these things don't ring with you. I want to encourage you, isolate passages throughout Scripture like John 1 verse 12 and John 14 verses 16 through 20 and Galatians 4 verses 1 through 7. Isolate these passages and meditate on them. And don't move on until your affections are stirred because they should be and they will be. Also, if you want to study some books, Knowing God by J.R. Packer, which I've mentioned, chapter 19, is worth the price of the book just for that. Children of the Living God by Sinclair Ferguson. Adopted into God's Family by Trevor Burke. These are all outstanding books. And then if you want to get a CD so you can understand music playing into your life on the glories of adoption, then buy the CD Sons and Daughters, which is the Sovereign Grace CD, which just has song after song after song of how we've been adopted. Into the very family of God. And here's what you can anticipate as you confine yourself to meditating and enjoying adopting grace. Here's what you can anticipate you can anticipate theologically informed feelings. They're theologically informed. You have to study truth, you can't just sing nice lullabies and hope that God will do something magical. We inform our minds but then our feelings become theologically informed, and we start to get amazed that this is what he's done. He sent forth his son for me. So number one, we can see God's love and care for us in the means of our adoption, but there is another one. Number two, we can see God's love and care for us in the experience of our adoption. This is a shorter point. Look at verse 20 again. Here we're looking now at the experience of our adoption. And in verse 20 he says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. What is that day? Well, that day is the day when Jesus returns. He is with them for a little while. And then he goes and ascends the right hand of the Father and sends his Holy Spirit. In that day, when I send you the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit that he's been talking about for verses 16 through 17. In that day, when I send him, you will know something. Well, what will I know? You will know that you're adopted. You will know that... I am in the Father, and the Father is in that. The, 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 I am before the Father, and the, you, that you are in me. You will know that I am, that you are adopted. H- how will I know? How? How will I know? Well, because the Holy Spirit's coming. The Holy Spirit will reside in your heart. He won't just be with you. He will be in you. And as Paul then says in Galatians, the very cry of the Spirit in your heart will be what? Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit I will send to you. What Jesus is saying is I will send one who won't be me but he will be just like me. And through him you will know something. He will give a cry in your heart of Abba Father. And you will know through that cry that you are adopted. You will sense within a love for the Father. You will sense within an affection for the Father. You will sense within a desire to live for the Father. And you will think... Because you are deceived. That that's just because you're a nice person. But it will not be true. You will believe all those things and see those things and know those things and experience the love for the Father because I've sent the Spirit. And that's His work. That's His work in your life. And so there will be a cry from within that says, I'm a father. See that, my friends, is the knowledge and the cry of the converted. It is the knowledge and the cry which is the privilege and experience of all those who have genuinely taken Jesus Christ as their Lord and Saviour. It is the knowledge and the cry that comes to every individual who has experienced and received adopting grace. And this cry, listen, this cry, which is so cool, is the most unusual place to find it, but this cry is an insurance of God's love for you. The very knowledge, the very cry, the very experience is likewise assurance of God's personal and particular and passionate love for you. See, first and foremost, I want you to understand and behold, the initiative of God in this is incredible. Notice verse 16, And I will ask the Father, and the Father will send in just the same way that our salvation came around by God sending forth his Son. Our very atonement came about by God sending forth his son, his initiative, your orphans, and yet He initiates and comes after us. Even now, then, as Christians, he says, "I know what you 're going to need." So I'm going to go be with the Father, but I will ask the Father and he will send you the Son. This is all the Godhead's doing. It is his initiative, knowing his children and knowing what they're going to need. It's all him. Do you feel his care in that? Sometimes I think as Christians we think, I I just don't feel God's care. Well, here's number one. He gave you the Holy Spirit. He didn't have to do that. That's an expression of his care so that you would know him and that you would sense your adoption before the Lord. But notice also the assurance that can come, I think, from the cry itself, the the very cry. C.H. Spurgeon says this. Messages are barely allowed without at least one C.H. Spurgeon quote. says this. I once knew a good woman, a good woman who was the subject of many doubts And when I got to the bottom of her doubts, it came down to this. She knew that she loved Christ, but she was afraid that he did not love her. But that is a doubt that will never trouble me, never not by any possibility, because I am sure of this, that the heart, listen, that the heart is so corrupt naturally that love for God never did get there without God putting it there. And so you may rest quite certain that if you love God, it is a fruit and not a root. It is a fruit of God's love to you and did not get there by the force of any goodness in you. And so you may conclude with absolute certainty then that God loves you if you love God. Let me let that soak in for a moment because I believe Mr. Spurgeon is absolutely correct. If you love God... If there is a cry in your heart of Abba Father, if on occasions you are singing and you just think, Ah, I love you. This is amazing. If at moments you read your Bible and things come alive before your eyes, if at moments as you lie there you think, You know, hands down, I'm not a perfect Christian. I make loads of mistakes. I blow it often. But if somebody said, Do you love God? Yeah, yeah, I do. I wish I could love him more. I I wish I could do more things right for him rather than blowing it all the time. But yes, I do love him. I I want to commit to him. Then if that love of God is in your heart, that is a cry of Abba Father that did not get there by itself. Your heart is too corrupt for that. I do not spend time with people at Westfield Shopping Centre who do not know Jesus. They do not say, Oh, I just love God. They, They don't. There's nothing there. Nothing at all. They may say, I believe in God. But do you love God? (laughs) What are you on about? Because the cry of Abba Father is not there. But if you do love God, if you love the Lord, then rest assured, you're a Christian. See, so many people, I think, struggle with assurance. Let Let me make it easier for you. Do you believe God sent his son to die for you? Yeah. Do you believe he died in your place, and have you made him the king of your life, albeit imperfectly? Yes. And is there, on occasions, albeit imperfectly, a love for God in your life? Yes. Well, that's the Holy Spirit. It's the deposit guaranteeing your inheritance. You're in. Now, folks, I want to assure you that if you love God, then you are not only saved. If you love God then you can be certain that He loves you. Because the Holy Spirit is in your heart because He saved you. But He didn't just save you. He adopted you. You're a son or a daughter of the King. Nothing's ever going to change that. I remember when our daughter Amy was about, about two years old and we went to this monster truck show which... I think it was probably more for me than a family night, but, but when you're two, you just go with it. So, so, so we went to this monster truck show and, and I didn't realise how loud these things were. and They're loud. So we decided to have a look around the monster trucks first before they actually came on. And so we were standing right by them and then one of them started their engine and I've never seen a two-year-old climb somebody's body so quick. I mean, it was just like she's there, you know. And she was just hanging on. The claws were in the back of my neck and I'm trying to not strangle myself. And, but, but I've got her and she's just clinging on. So we made our way to the stands, which would have been a good hundred yards and, and we walked and she's just hanging on for dear life. But what she didn't realize is she really didn't need to hang on. Because I had her. Because She's my daughter. Folks, so it is in salvation. We can go through seasons where we're just trying to hang on and I don't know whether I'm going to make it. Hang on. You've got a father far greater than you who's holding you and his grip is far stronger than mine. And once you arrive in the grip of grace, he never lets you go because you're a child. When he sees you, he sees his son and he wants you and he loves you. Folks, as we conclude then, here's what I want you to know. How does God feel about you? Here's how. He passionately and particularly and personally loves you. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the reality is that 2,000 years ago, God the Father sent His Son for you on the greatest rescue mission ever told. He sent forth His Son And Jesus Christ then lived his perfect life and died on a cross, claiming throughout that all those who would put their faith in me as Lord and Savior would be saved. That all those who put their faith in him as Lord and Savior would indeed not only be forgiven and redeemed, knowing that heaven is your home, but would also be adopted into the very family of God. And so I cry out to you then, before you go home today, put your faith in him as your Lord and Savior. Make him the king of your life, and believe that he died in your place, something you could never do. And you'll know before you leave the doors then this day you have a new father. You've been adopted. You've been saved. I'd love to talk to you more about that, so come and see me out. I'll come and find somebody on the back of the bulletin or the person who brought you. But don't go home without knowing this. If you are already a Christian though, which is most of you in the room. In the context of John 14, and then as the sun goes down on this chapter, I just want to encourage you this way, folks. Let not your hearts be troubled. For sure, sparks fly upwards, troubles fall, and they do. Jesus himself said that man is born to trouble. That's true. But he also then sits us down as disciples the night before he dies and says, You know what, though, guys? And I'm saying this because I know they are now and I know they will be tomorrow and they will be the day after that because you're human. But I appeal to you, don't let them be. And here's then fuel for the fire. Here's fuel so that they they won't be. And here's fuel so that when you realize they are, you can remind yourselves of these truths. Don't let your hearts be troubled because you're not home yet. And your root home is is me. And I'm not just anybody. I'm God. I've come after you. These are words of solidarity. These are words that you can stand on. And through the Holy Spirit, I will always be with you. But more even than that, through the Holy Spirit, you will know that you've been adopted. So I've got to go. But I will always be with you. And you will always be the fathers. And one day, I will return. And I'll take you home. My friends, don't let your hearts be troubled because you really are no longer orphans. You're a son or daughter of the King. Let's pray. And why don't we stand together, folks? Well, Lord, as we prayed at the start, that you would be with us, that you would be ministering to souls. Lord, I, I sense and trust that you have been. Lord, thank you. Lord, the reality is that you love and care for these people more than I ever could. For you sent your son to die in their place. And so, Lord, through then the doctrine of adoption... Oh, Lord, would we be freshly amazed of your personal, passionate, particular love for us? Not just as a body, not just as a group. We don't look at our own children just as a group. No, you you know each and every name. You decided each and every day. Lord, would there be no individual in the room then that leaves today unaware then of your commitment, your affection, your love towards them. The Holy Spirit, as you cry Abba Father from within, those theologically informed feelings come alive in Jesus name